Go Loud presents Murder Most Irish. you're going to do a Lily's Tales and you don't do a Lily's Tales. Okay, we'll do a Lily's Tales. These two p- people here stink. <laughs> well, I'm going to get Colin to cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. I am. Colin's not going to use that. No. Colin's going to be like, oh, Lily's right. <laughs> Colin's going to agree with you. Yeah. Probably put a big echo thing over. These two p- people here Anyway, welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. If you're listening to us as normal, then hello. If you're watching us through the Patreon, hello. Um, Yes, hello to everybody. Thank you for coming to our podcast times. (laughs) I'm really Um, tired. Are you sure you want to do this? No, I do. Because you're fully lying down on that bed. I finished that case and we're talking about it. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, Sarah and I have seen each other like every day forever. Yeah, but I've been telling you all week, take a note of this and I'll talk about it on the podcast. So I, I was did like, take notes. I took notes of Garda's story. The Garda story? My dad. Your dad. I was going to check my notes. Yeah, your dad. They were the two. Oh, it's gone. They, they were the two that I took notes of. So. Um, yeah, and um, oh, I'm fighting with somebody else on the internet at the minute and I'm winning. Just some random man. Is it a racist? It's a racist. Because they're out yeah. full force at the moment. Out full force. Like, okay. I'm Thanks. just incredibly comfortable with the racism. Oh, or like, and have other people being like, hey, it's okay that you're a racist. Yeah. It's like, okay that you're in a far right organization that's burning down hotels. That's okay. Like, because you're palm coloured. Therefore, it's okay that you do those things. Racism used to be a subtle art. No, not anymore. You used to have to blatant hide your racism. Mm. Get it. Like, you used to have to be smart about it. Get your racism in under the table. Everybody knowing you're an out and out racist. It's blatant. Now it's like a card carrying member of the KKK. Like. There's no shame in it anymore. It's almost seen as like you're like you're the right one and you're going against the grain and you're telling the truth. That's what it is. It's but that's far right. It's insane. The far mm. right. And I think because I'm like my algorithm is ticked and TikTok is so all over the place. Because obviously then I fight with these people. So then my algorithm is like, oh, you interacted with this video. So then I get more. But then I'm like, there are so many of you and it is terrifying. Like there's so many. It, people are like it's a small faction I'm like nah bro it's not, it's not that small there's a lot of them like right. they're coming out of the fucking woodwork crawling out of the woodwork on their bellies but yeah it's tough the internet at the moment is just a shit show yeah no the world is just a shit show at the minute it's a difficult place to be it's a difficult place to live in and get on with like I saw a post earlier of Ireland pushing out further aid to Palestine yeah and there was people in the comments being like oh supporting terrorists supporting terrorists and i'm like we're feeding people 
who are being massacred. Massacred. And you think we're supporting each Do you think a four-year-old girl is in Hamas? Yeah. Like. Although, when they killed that little girl in the car, the first statement that the that Israel released on Twitter after she was killed was that there was information that children were being used on Hamas. Yep. So they didn't say it was her. They didn't explicitly state that. But they wanted people to know that this is a thing. That So if she was killed, it could have been because she's in Hamas. And she people was six. are believing Six years old. She was in that car for 10 days before they killed her. Six years old. Yeah. She was in that car for 10 days before they killed her. Trapped in that car with her uh, dead. No, I've no other way to say that. Rotting. Yeah. Starving. Yeah. Like to death. And then murdered the paramedics to try to help her. Yeah. Terrified. Terrified. And her mother had to listen to that call of her daughter being like I need help I'm stuck and then 10 days later uh, her body was found I just in the car anybody to know that if you are outwardly supporting what Israel is doing right now hell is very hot yeah hell is very and that is where you are going because there is no justification for this and now you've got Varadkar being like oh, we're gonna we want a ceasefire oh after 30,000 people was that mm-hmm. the number you had in your head when it hits yeah. Thursday, then maybe, maybe we'll say something. When we've moved 1.2 million people to Rafa and told them it's yeah. safe. And are now bombing them. And are now bombing them. Yeah. Bombing them. Dropping maybe them. Maybe we'll say something. Maybe. Uh, like Master Hospital. Master Hospital, they've surrounded. They're now doing on the ground so they've surrounded they've told all of the medical staff to leave or they're going to be killed and obviously an awful lot of the medical staff have been like I can't just leave my patients here so they have I was watching Bassan Bassan and she's there on the ground and she was like they've um we can't get to the hospital. They're dropping and snipering people that are trying to get into the hospital. She's like the people who have evacuated that have been able to go. But she's like, they've now sent, they've sent the dogs in and she's like, and there's immobilized people in there. There's people that are stuck in a bed. There's like pregnant women. It's got a maternity wing. Yeah. She's like, um, and they've sent the dogs in. And then there was that four year old boy who was ripped apart by a dog. And after 15 minutes, the, Israeli genocidal army decided to go in and like take the dog off him yeah. and he has like internal bleeding it's just I've spent every day in a state of complete disillusion and anger and hopelessness yeah and I'm, it's just... I'm only watching this I'm not experiencing it yeah like any child that survives what is currently happening is absolutely traumatized for the rest of their lives beyond like, tra- like... And I, I just feel, I know a lot of people are like, what can I do? Keep talking about it. Keep talking about it. Keep posting about it. Keep making people uncomfortable. Because that is they what they want you to do is to get tired of this. They don't want you to talk about it. Keep talking about it. Keep shouting down propaganda. Keep doing it. Just keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Because the propaganda isn't working anymore. No. It's not working. Countries are coming out being like, this needs to stop. Stop. And they thought that they could just get away with this. Yeah. They thought like, they genuinely thought if we call enough people anti-Semitic, they'll all stop telling us to stop. Yeah. Not how it works, buddy. No. The stopped. genocide is being televised live. 
It's on your phones. It's hard. Like I just found this week. It just I, I like it's it's genocide that's been commodified. It's mm-hmm. commodified genocide. There was an advert. Like the thing that gets me about Americans. I'm not all Americans, but the hypocrite Americans who were like, Russia is trying to steal our election. Mm-hmm. And then you're letting a foreign government put adverts on your, your Super, Super Bowl. Bowl. Yeah. yeah. Like, do you not see? Yeah. Do no, you don't. not see the hypocrisy? They're so blinded by by hypocrisy. And it's it's existing in our country now as well. You can see that people are not able to, to differentiate between what is propaganda and what is actual information. No, absolutely not. Like, absolutely. I watch this, like, watch, like, I watch so many people on the internet in Ireland who are like, I'd like a fair debate. Like, back in the day when we had referendums, we had fair debates about the referendum. But all I'm seeing now is the yes vote in the current media being pushed forward. Maybe because the yes vote makes sense. Maybe because in terms of, like, the information we have about the yes vote, it makes sense for the yes vote. But, like, if you want a fair debate where someone says the word like mother is not in the constitution when it is it is like also their argument is oh the trans people are going to queer our water that's oh it. literally the trans people are going that's to queer it. water that's and if you want this argument. is the other argument i've seen loads of and it's women of a certain age on the internet if you want to continue to get your children's allowance and your single oh, parent but sarah you see that's what they do it's classism this is pure classism. It's a classism tactic. They're like, who can we target by telling them they'll take their money away? Yeah. And it's lower income people. So if we can get the lower income people who don't generally vote to vote in fear that their children's allowance is going to be taken away. Yeah. And if you as a person can't see that, I can't help you because that's what they're doing. Like, I can have a conversation with someone who's like, I don't have enough information. And a lot of people are talking about the no vote. So I'd like to get more information. But I cannot have a conversation with someone who's like, we used to have fair and unbiased debates. Did we? Did, what are you talking Did about? When the, most of our history of our country is women being denigrated and destroyed. Not even that, but the like marriage equality referendum, they were putting up pictures of like gay couples and being like his and his yeah. like on placards and hanging them on posters yeah. and being like these people are going to like ruin Ireland yeah. We've, that's never existed no people have that's never existed and it was just yeah I was just like you're and then she went down the route of like your social welfare and your children's allowance and I was like what no that, what? Is, that is what they're doing they're targeting lower income areas to try and sway votes and stuff like that. It's like, because obviously they know that there are certain areas that don't go out to vote as much as other areas. Where I live, and, people don't go vote. Yeah, unless there's money involved because these people don't fucking have any money and they need mm. money. And that's a terrifying idea for them that they could potentially lose an income mm. because they're not, they're not wealthy. So they're like, hey, guess what? The government's going to come to your house and take not only your welfare, but your children. Like, it's just, I can't. I'm so sick of stupid people. Like, I can't do it anymore, man. And then I'm trying to do that thing that I did in, like, other referendums where I'm like, okay, have the conversation and try not to be... Yeah, of course. In the current climate, I just can't. I'm like... I have no patience and I think it's... No. ...what's happening in Gaza. I'm like, I don't care about your stupid ass. Like, I don't care. 
yeah like I'm trying to do that thing where I'm like rise above it and and be smart about it and don't insult anybody but in the same time I some guy there was like a video today and oh fuck yourself some guy put something stupid on it and I was like I know it's difficult man and then he was like "Ooh, don't cry and then I wrote back being like stop telling me what your mom says to your dad be their child like <laughs> it is it's always that thing and they're like oh I can tell by the color of your hair that you're a you're a pronouner I'm like I don't even I'm not and I, I don't even it's the only argument that they have they can't I know it's like, so like I've no patience I have no patience anymore no do you want to hear my story about the um, undercover guard in the park for yes, the dog please. warden? So the video came up on my Instagram there. <laughs> Hilarious. Oh my Jack. God, is that Jackie boy? It's Jackie boy. Sorry, sir. Sorry. Don't scream in the thing. Don't scream and lie down. He always just fucks it up for himself. He just gets put out. I just, he's like, I'm like, we could have been cool. We could have been friends. You're being a dick and he gets put out. Yeah, he's like whenever I put Ollie on the sofa, after like 20 minutes, he tries to attack Cookie. And I'm like, <laughs> this is your fault. Like, he's come on, man. How not to do this, but they don't. Yeah. And Cookie is like, Cookie just gets it. She's like, if I lie here and I do fucking nothing, I she's going to leave move. me alone. She won't touch me. Yeah. Cookie actually is the dumbest, smartest dog I've got. How is your undercover guard? So in Ballyfermot, uh, in the park behind me, there is a plainclothes guard being dropped off on a daily basis with a little dog that me and Graham were talking about it last night. Because I told them, I was like, there's a video going around on TikTok of the, of the park behind our house yeah. and a guard getting dropped off with a little dog. And Graham, being Graham, he immediately was like, what kind of dog is it? And I was like, oh, it was like a little Jack Russell or something. And he was like, it wasn't like a police dog. And I was like, no. And he was like, where'd they get the dog? And I was like, I don't know. And he was, it's I was like, his dog. I said, that guard must have brought his dog to work. <laughs> oh, like, I was like, that guard was like, today's I bring Benji in. Today, we'll get yeah. this. Today's today, Benji. He's like top tonight before. He's probably been like to Benji. Benji, today's today. You're going to be a star, like, bud. Don't fuck it up, Benji. Benji, this could get me promoted. I could be detective by this time next year. Um, but anyway, he's dressed. He's not dressed up. He's not dressed as a guard. He's like plain clothes. So he's undercover. He brings his dog to the park and he walks in and he stands at the gate for about 20, 30 minutes. And what's happening is apparently there's a guy going around Bally Farmer pretending to be the dog warden. Yeah. And essentially like saying he's fining people or I'm going to take your dog off you and people are giving him money and that's what this guard is apparently trying to do. Not anymore because it's all over TikTok. Ballier. I know. I love Ballier. Oh, you need housekeeping. Housekeeping. Yeah. I don't think so. Um, there is a Facebook craft group that's set up from the MMI group. No way. Mm-hmm. That's so If cool. anybody is looking to join it or looking to come along, but I think they're holding like a craft day. It's called MMI Crafts and True Crime Book Club. That's amazing. You that. There you go. Cute. And um, way, if anybody's looking to to go on the Facebook it's not our Facebook it was set up but it's not no it's not our Facebook and Emma likes to t- say that all the time I because uh, 
responsibility for anything bad happening because I'm a coward. Yeah, so my so. favorite murder one that was sent up fucking turned into shit, that one. and they had to shut it down. Ellen handbag. Um, we just just wanted to say thanks so much to everybody who's buying tickets for the live show. There's only a few left. So if you want to come, come. If you don't, don't. Um, but thank you very much. Limited, baby. Limited, Limited seats. Tickets, they said. Um, so thank you very, very much. Also, we are in the Sunday. Sunday Independent. Oh. <laughs> I think in the Culture Magazine. I'm nearly sure it's in the Culture Magazine. I don't know if they've changed the name to something in society. Anyway, it's the Inlet Magazine in the newspaper. So we are in that this Sunday. Please don't tag me in any pictures because I will kill myself. <laughs> trigger, trigger warning. I apologize. <laughs> Coming February 28th to Liberty Hall, Dublin, Aitkin Promotion presents a true crime podcasting experience like no other. It's Murder Most Irish Live! <laughs> Join Emma, Sarah Jane and Colin for a show that's crude. That's the strangest thing you've ever eaten. She's like, my ma's shit. Yeah. Lewd. Wax or shave. Shame. Hold on. Oh. Your arsehole. Rude. That's my son. That's my son and That's he didn't know you were son. a girl. And quite possibly nude. You're plowing those fields, baby, and I'm driving the Rolls Royce. Like, and that's what's happening. And then you're playing me a night notice. Murder Most Irish live at Liberty Hall. Tickets available from Ticketmaster.ie. Good night, everybody! So, I'm going to do the case of the murder of a lady named Jean Gilbert. I don't remember this at all. When was it? 2009, but apparently it was quite uh, big in the media. But I don't remember this at all. You might remember it, but I I don't remember it. When you Uh, said the name earlier, I kind of was like, I have a stirrings of a memory. Yeah. So I just want to mention that trigger warnings for mentions of domestic abuse, financial abuse, uh, emotional abuse, physical abuse, um, obviously extreme violence towards a woman. Once again, femicide is mentioned. Um, Yeah. So just, you know, Um, so I have about 7000 references. So I'm just going to put these all up on the thing. But the main one that I got my references from is an article by a journalist named Anne-Marie Houlihan. Who works for the writes, writes for the Irish Times, and she was actually friends with Jean. Anne Marie Houlihan is a fantastic yeah. journalist. She's friends with Jean. She was. Friends oh, with Jean. that's really sad. Oh, it must be really difficult writing, you know, about your friend. Uh, but I will put all the references in because there's a shit ton of them, lads. So okay, so I'm going to start. So on the 28th of August 2007, Maureen Navrian stood in her kitchen, placing candles on her son's birthday cake. The radio droned on in the background as children milled around her feet. She wasn't really paying attention to the broadcast until a news, another news broadcast began. The presenter said a woman had been murdered in Castleknock. She was as yet unnamed, but Maureen's blood ran cold. I knew, she told the Irish Times. I thought he's killed her. Maureen rang Blanchardstown Garda station to inquire as to whether the victim was a person she knew. They told her they could not give her that information. As Maureen made a call to Blanchardstown Hospital, Sinead Kerens was travelling to see her mother, bringing her dinner to her. She was sitting on a bus when she heard the news. She said, it was the first thing I thought of. He's killed her. Maureen finally got a reply from Blanchardstown Hospital and a nurse was more forthcoming than the guardee. 
Maureen's heart leapt when she asked the question, is it Jean Gilbert? And the nurse said yes. So we're going to talk a little bit about the lovely Jean. Jean Gilbert was born in 1962 and raised in Terenure in County Dublin. Is Terenure a posh place? Yeah. Okay. It's a weird, so Terenure, the closer it gets to the Walkinstown roundabout, the less middle class it is. Oh, okay. And the closer you get to town and kind of Rathmines, the more middle class, higher class it becomes, upper class. Um, sorry. Uh, she was an outgoing, confident child, and this confidence would follow her into adulthood. Jean's brother Robert said he would remember had even as a child she was independent and competitive. That Jean would always win a little prize from their parents for being the best behaved sibling on their family holidays. Jean began working at the age of 17 as a lab technician, and from here she studied to become a food scientist. Jean's fierce independence and go-getter attitude from her childhood stood to her. And even in a deeply bleak recession to hit Ireland of the 1980s, Jean was able to buy her own car and her own home in Castle Lock. Wow. So, like by herself? She, yeah. She came up with, she was the first person to patent and create a jelly baby that had no artificial colourings or flavourings. So no that's way. mainly known for, yeah. So Jean was a practising Buddhist, which I don't think we've ever done a case with a Buddhist before. I think this is our first Buddhist case. Jean sounds super interesting, doesn't she? So uh, Jean and I think Anne-Marie, who who wrote the article, I think she might be a Buddhist, but I'm not 100% sure. But her and all her friends or Jean's friends were all Buddhists. They were all in the Buddhist community, community together. Buddhists believe you come back, right? Yeah, they do. Yeah. OK. Uh, Jean was a practicing Buddhist. And she loved, lived her life by the Buddhist virtues of love and peace. In her early 20s, Jean attended a Buddhist retreat in Japan. And it was here in 1986 that Jean would meet a man named, named Robert Campion. Now, Robert will become very important later on in the story. So I'm just going to mention him now. But he does become very, very important. Is he an asshole? No. Oh. But it's a weird situation. You'll see. Robert was a British musician. I don't want to see. Tell okay. me now. No. <laughs> and he and Jean would fall in love. They would take turns meeting each other with Jean flying to the UK and Robert flying to Ireland. The relationship would only last a year, but it did have a profound effect on Jean. And in 1998, a year after the relationship ended, Jean wrote a letter to Robert proposing marriage. Oh. Robert turned her down saying he wasn't ready and that he wanted to focus on becoming a successful rock star. How did that work out, Robert? Nope. Didn't work out. Um, Jean was completely heartbroken. Like, she was totally in love with this guy. Like, ass backwards in love with him. I don't know how I would... Like, actually, I do, because Graham asked me to marry him after, like, a year, and I was like, eh, okay. Uh, yeah, that's pretty fucked. Yeah, but in my head, I was like, um, maybe no, because... You're so young. We didn't even live together. Yeah, you're so young. Like, like, Abbas. Like the idea of someone asking you to marry them and you be, um, you say no. Hey, write in if that's ever happened. Yeah. Oh, please. Um, because it happens more than people know. Or people say, if people never here, don't propose to people in public. Graham didn't. He proposed to me in my bedroom. Yeah, because I think if somebody proposed to me in public, if I saw a proposal in the person, public and the person said yes, part of me goes, 
I think that they maybe just said yes because you're in public. And they don't want to embarrass you. Yeah, but I'm I feel really hard done by that Graham didn't like make a thing of my our proposal. He did. He proposed to you. Why was he not? How was he meant to propose to you? In a bed of roses. So why did you say yes, you bollocks? Because I'm a people pleaser. <laughs> and I people please myself into a marriage. <laughs> um. So in 1992, this was four, four years after Robert said, hey, no, I'm not marrying you. Uh, Jean met a man called David Burke. David, who was from Mullingar County, West Meath, moved to Dublin in 1993 to be with Jean and the two quickly fell in love. David was well-educated and seemed to be a kind, thoughtful person. David moved into Jean's home in Castleknock and on October 14th, 1995, the two were married at the Castle Hotel in Kalini. She had a lot of money. Yeah, that's a lovely hotel. Yeah. What was David's profession? Um, at the time, he worked in insurance. Okay. So in 1996, Jean and David's first child was born, a daughter they named Emily. The delivery was traumatic for Jean and that, along with her high pressure job, left her incredibly stressed for a two year period. So it came as somewhat of a relief for Jean when her company decided to make her redundant. The relief, however, would be short lived. Jean, before her redundancy, was the main earner in the household, but now it would fall on David. David was working as an administrator for, for Hibernian Insurance and his salary was nowhere near as substantial as Jean's. That's a really, so like in insurance companies, like administrators, customer service, they're not uh, FQ, QF aid, so they haven't yeah. got quali- qualified. Make, in, yeah. Yeah. So they make like in that time, that time probably making like 25, 26 grand. Uh, yeah, they had a child and a house, although it was Jean's house. They were still paying a mortgage like. Yeah. So Jean's friend Maureen said the couple seemed solid enough but there were cracks from the early days of their relationship. They were both from familiar backgrounds, she told the Irish Times. I don't think he had any career at the time, and later she would find that very difficult. He was quite passive about finding work or increasing what he was doing. At the beginning, she was the main breadwinner. Although there was only one income coming into the home and their standard of living was in decline, David wanted more children, and as quickly as possible. Red flag! Yeah, Alex, their first son, was born in 1999 with another boy, Harvey, following three years later. David, who wanted all of these children, did not seem to want the responsibility of them. And Jean mentioned his lack of interest to Maureen. The only thing she said was that David watched an inordinate amount of television and that this drove her crazy. Sometimes she'd say that he watched television all weekend, sometimes 50 hours a week. But then she just stopped talking about it. You got the impression that it was a bit lacklustre, but then maybe they settled into a groove as you do when you have small children and are surrounded by domestic chores. That makes me sad. 50 hours a week. 50 hours a week. Jean was incredibly private and her friends and family knew this about her. They just they knew she just got on with things and they seemed to be okay for a while. But gradually her friends began to worry. They knew something was very, very wrong. So in the autumn of 20, 2006, Sinead Kerens, Jean's friend, said that she began to seriously worry about her. She seemed deeply withdrawn. And when Sinead asked her what was wrong, she said David just constantly watched TV and that he had no friends. Jean also mentioned that he was hypercritical of her and their children. What have you got to be hypercritical about, you lazy motherfucker? And of children? The fuck is wrong with you? They're kids. 
the children. What are they meant to do? They can barely fucking walk in a straight line. Sinead tried to help, suggesting that she and David take up a hobby together, maybe dancing. And it was the quality of the silence, Sinead said, and the way she looked. She said nothing, that I just knew there was something very, very wrong in the marriage and that she was suffering. However, Jean's secrecy, secrecy continued and so did the facade of a happy marriage to David. But in January 2007, things became drastic. Jean, who was always quite t- thin, standing at five foot four and a size eight, lost so much weight that she was dressing in her children's clothes. <gasps> Sinead and Maureen orchestrated the plan to visit Jean each Wednesday to speak to her and maybe figure out what was going on, but to no avail. Jean maintained her privacy. Sinead could not watch her friend get any sicker, and on the May the 24th, 2007, she called Jean. Jean continued to be aloof on the call, and Sinead said something snapped inside her. Sorry, my ear is itchy. Uh, itchy ear, itchy ear. Hey, everybody, there's my ear. I roared down the phone. Tell me, tell me what's wrong, I said. I wasn't getting off the phone until she told me that she had to tell me because I loved her and I cared about her. This is when she broke down and started sobbing. Jean told Sinead that she was miserable and that her marriage was miserable. She said that David was controlling both emotionally and financially, that she struggled every single day to make sure her children had food on the table. She called... She called him manipulative towards her and their children. Sinead was utterly shocked. On the 29th of May, Jean went to Maureen's house and the phone call to Sinead a number of days earlier seemed to have broken the dam. She told her friend everything. Maureen said her friend seemed to be in so much pain that the words left her mouth so quickly. Maureen found it hard to keep up. Jean told me later that her intimate life with David had caused her unspeakable suffering, Maureen told Anne-Marie Houlihan in the Irish Times. I was shocked and dismayed at what she'd endured in isolation. She said things had got so bad at the beginning of the year that she'd resolved that she would take no more of it. I didn't ask for the gory details, so she was suicidal. Yeah. In June 2007, Jean's brother began calling her out of the same concerns her friends shared. He would ask her if she was all right and she would say that she was and thank him for the concern. She would then tell him not to call on the house phone or when David was there. Robert's concern grew. That is a massive, massive red, red flag. Huge, 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 huge. That side of thing where you're like, hey, don't call it this time. Maybe don't call this phone. I have a separate phone for phone calls like women that are abused. That's something that they have to do. So another friend of Jean's, Fanula Halpin, tried to speak to Jean about the j- dangers of domestic abuse. In the first week of August, I was on the phone to Jean, she told Amri Houlihan. I told her that I'd heard somewhere that in most cases of domestic violence that end up in murder, the most dangerous time is when the woman is trying to leave. I just wanted to say that to her. On the same call, Jean told Halpin that David had smashed a large framed picture of their wedding day in front of their children. Mm. So as Jean's friends were reeling from her admissions a month earlier in May 2007, Jean had received a letter from someone in her past, Robert Campion. So this is the gentleman that Jean had proposed marriage to. Mm. Robert had heard that Jean had gotten married and had three children. So he decided to write to her to see how she was. Jean replied and Robert wrote another letter, this time to, quote, test the waters to see if she still had feelings. Now, he shouldn't have done that. Straight up, he knew she was married with three children. She had moved on with her life. He was like, oh, shit, now she's married, but she proposed to me. So he was obviously feeling butthurt. 
but you said no. So it's not cool that he did that. And mm, yeah. Kind of goes to shit. So is this oh okay. All round bad idea. So it's a bad way to communicate that because you can't enter. Like if someone gets, you know, when you were a kid, and you, well, you don't know this, but I know this and I know well, we were trying to like get to the letter from school before your mom and dad got to it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know, like if yeah. he's writing to her she and, and this guy's super lazy, not going to work all the time, like in the house constantly, <laughs> she can't. It's very difficult for her to manage of course. that communication piece and stop it getting to him. Letter? Is there a letter? Is there a letter? Like running to the letter, like letter Fuck me. Uh, so many of like third, fourth, Did fifth. Really? Did you really? <laughs> That's so funny, sir. Are you fucking shit me? I was a master changing my grades on my report card. What did the letter say? I'd won from, so I did LCVP. It's like Enterprise. And I got kicked out of Enterprise. Okay. Because I didn't go. <laughs> and uh, I didn't, obviously I didn't fight, like my mom would kill me. So was, there was a letter sent home being like, Sarah has been removed from the LCVP program. And I was like, I need to fucking get to that letter. And I walked in one day, I hadn't gotten to it. And it had been weeks, so I'd forgotten about it. I was with <gasps> Leslie. And there was fucking murder. I was like, I wasn't, I like literally was like fucking just lying. I was like, no, I wasn't going to that letter's wrong. Like, oh my God. I was like, why do you have to do this when my friends are here? Oh. Like, yeah, no, it was the whole thing. And she was like, Leslie's like family. And we talk about our issues in front of family. And I was like, <laughs> Leslie was literally like, I'm going to go home. Um, <laughs> or she was like, I don't want to be part of this family. Um, so. Yeah, no, I used to. That, that letter. Amazing. Like and I could pull, I could turn a B into an A, perfectly. Little little dodgy handwriting going on. So good at like change. <laughs> I'd, I'd bring it in and use the photocopier and then like tipex it all out and then put it through the photocopier, and then put the new and then put it through the photocopier again, and then I'd post that. Listen, you did. But- you got to do what you got to do. I got like a a B one in higher level English, right? Like I did okay. <laughs> Okay, I read that. So, uh, Jean was so happy to hear from Robert, maybe because of how unhappy she was in her marriage and life, maybe because she was excited to speak to an old friend. Whatever the reason, the letters soon became emails, and the emails then became text messages and phone calls. Things became sexual between uh, Robert. Sorry, things became sexual, yeah, between Robert and Jean almost immediately. Robert writing to her. So, this is a letter. That was read out. Now, just bear in mind, they read this out in court when this went to trial. So when you say sexual, do you mean like messages? Oh, yeah. Like they were writing like dirty stuff to each other. Or do you mean like actually actively sexual? Oh, no, because he was still in England and she was in Ireland. But they were writing smutty smutty things. He said, my body is aching and throbbing and not just in lust, but that is plentiful to be sure. I want to be with you spiritually, not just physically. I want to sense you, grow old with you, caress you gently, to make you a cup of tea to hold your hand, to always make you feel safe, to stroke your spine. I trust, love and respect you. So this was only a number of like, I'm going to say less than weeks. Oh, yeah, like. They were only talking since May. Uh, no, 
yeah, no, April. And then it would have been a number of weeks before it all kind of kicked off, all the shit kicked off. But like they were immediately like, I love you so much. I'm going to kill myself and I'm going to I'm going to kill you and I'm going to kill everybody. Like that's intense. Oh, by letter as well. Oh, yeah. Waiting a week to get horny. You know what <laughs> I mean? <laughs> the post popping up my horniness. So I just feel like it's very intense very quickly. Could you but, like... I'm dead inside, so what do I know? The idea, the idea of sitting in a courtroom while someone reads that shit out. Sarah Jane. But it's like sometimes I think when we text each other, I'm like, we're definitely on a list. Oh, yeah, no, we are. But I don't message you and say, I can't wait to see your puss puss. Do you know what I mean? Maybe you should. (laughs) (laughs) I want it. It's great. You're bussy and you're bussy. Both of those things. Yeah. At the same time. Same time, maybe. Um, so Jean decided she wanted to be with Robert. Well, of course. Mm -hmm. Well, of course. She began planning a trip between them, even suggesting she sell her wedding ring and another ring David had given her to fund the vacation. So she wanted to go to Japan where they first met. That was her plan. Okay. Uh, In her letters to Robert, she told him that in order for them to be together, she had to be completely honest with her husband and to tell him she didn't love him anymore and wanted a divorce. So this is just an out for her. Yes. She's miserable. And she's like, I don't know how to get away from this. And maybe this is a way that I can be like, I've met somebody else. So you can't really argue with this and I can go. Yeah. Did she not realize she was in danger? I don't know. I just, because her one of her friends was like, you know, the most dangerous time to leave a man is like, or the most dangerous when you're in the most dangerous when you try and leave him. So I don't know. I just think she was a very confused deeply unhappy person is he uh, I don't want to give the game away but like and she seems so private that it seems like maybe no one really knew the horrors of what was going on mm-hmm. but uh, is he being like physical like obviously she said to her friend I've endured horrors yeah I is don't he know. like to be honest we never know and it's never said if he was physically abusive it's actually quite ambiguous I'll we'll get to the part where I I am a little bit unsure and I think maybe something did happen but yeah, it, you'll have to wait till we get a little bit in to kind of make up your mind about that. Okay. Uh, but yeah. So on June 15th, 2007, Jean Gilbert asked her husband, David Rourke, to meet her in a pub. It was here she told him that she no longer wanted to be with him and that she wanted a divorce. Jean would later tell Sinead that she met him in a pub so he wouldn't be around the knives. Yeah, no, she was being. And I said, what knives, Sinead said. What the hell has been going on with the knives? And she just shrugged and wouldn't answer. Yeah, no, like this man was abusing her. So during the meeting, much to her friend's dismay, Jean told David about Robert Campion and how it was him she wanted to be with. Fanula believes that Jean would still be alive today if she hadn't told David the entire truth. She said she was as straight as a die. If she snuck around behind his back, she might still be alive. She tried to do everything cleanly. Right. Okay. Going to him. Listen, I'm not happy. I don't. I want you out of the house. I need this divorce. She told told him everything. Told him everything, because it was kind of like alleviating guilt in a way to be like, I I can be completely honest and just move forward. But unfortunately, abusive men don't work like that. 
Okay. As a Buddhist, isn't that like part of their... Yeah, love and peace and truth, yeah. you know? During this... Oh, I already read that. Sorry. Da, da, da. Fuck's sake, Emma, get it together. Although it may have seemed that the troubles in Jean and David's marriage only began months before, Jean's family knew this was not true. The trouble in Jean's marriage had been ongoing for nearly a decade. Jesus. The, Gil- the Gilbert family said that Jean had told them the entire truth of her marriage in 2007, but that an incident in 1997, which they could not speak about, was the beginning of a tumultuous and abusive marriage. So something happened in 1997 and she told her family about it. But for some reason, they can't talk about it. I don't understand that. And they said that was the beginning of the abuse. But we never know. They never say. And I'm a li- and it's not brought up in court. So I don't really understand. What it could have been. Well, I mean, my mind's racing, but like it, I'd just be making shit up. So, yeah. So when you asked me earlier, was he abusive? Yes. To me, that sounds like yes. Now, obviously, allegedly, I'm not saying he is or he isn't. I'm just saying, to me, that sounds like something. The only way you'd be like, we can't talk about it is if there was like an NDA. Yeah, if there was something in place. But I seriously doubt there was an NDA in place. Yeah, like like, this man had fucking no money. He's from Mullingar. Like, you you know what I mean? I like the way you've just fucking besmirched everybody from Mullingar. I'm from Longford and we have a well-known rivalry with Westmead. So I'm going to keep (laughs) it up this podcast. All right. Okay. Longford. Um, They also said that the only reason Jean began seeing Robert Campion was because David was allegedly not a good man. So they were like, that's the only reason she did this. She was just trying to get away from him. And here's the thing. I can understand people being like, why didn't she just leave him? But unfortunately, in like Ireland, even up to the early 2000s, a lot of women felt like financially attached to a man and she was financially attached to him he was the breadwinner didn't have a job she had three children so in a lot of women's minds it's like i can't just leave i have to find somebody else that will look after me it's not you're correct but the referendum for divorce didn't uh, happen until 2019 where it was successful um so like in terms of like divorcing someone the stigma around it was really difficult um and then also financially you had to be separated for like seven years before anybody granted the it's just really complicated but also in terms of abuse if she had been started if that abuse had started in 1997 say we're now a decade into that man completely breaking her down breaking her down breaking her confidence her being completely financially reliant on him completely emotionally broken down completely like she had become really aloof and removed from her friends her support network was gone like oh something is very wrong here like the dramatic quick weight loss I was like and obviously sometimes not saying he did but a lot of the time these men leverage their children so they'd be like if you leave I'm taking the kids yeah I'm taking the kids Now, that's kind of not what happened in this case. We'll get into it. Okay. So, uh, David Rourke was utterly shocked by Jean's admission that she wanted a divorce and was in love with somebody else. They immediately began living separate lives, but still cohabitating, with Jean sleeping in the box room and David taking the master bedroom. Now, here's another thing. Anybody who doesn't see that as a red flag, that's her house. Yeah. 
So he was like, you sleep in the box room. My my mum and dad used to separate all the time. Yeah. Constantly separating. Yeah. And my dad always slept in the box room. Yeah. It just to me when I read that, I was like, yeah, there's a um, lot of things that I would know. I'm sure you noticed them, too, from growing up in a particular household where you're like, well, just because so if I just take what I grew up with, my d- dad would be trying to make the person feel sorry for them. Oh, so nice. he'd be like, I'll take the box room and you yeah. take the big room. Like, I'm such a piece of shit that he deserves to sleep in a box. Yeah, and like, you deserve the big room. And that in itself is a manipulation. But that in itself demonstrates that my mom is the one that he sees us with the power. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sees her as being the decision maker. The, it's the opposite in this. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, if me and Graham, me and Graham have actually never, ever, like, we've never had a fight and him go sleep somewhere yeah. else because I grew up in a house where my dad fucking once a month packed his bag and moved into the fucking box room. Yeah. Um, but whenever that, like, comes up when we're fighting, Graham be like, I'll sleep on the sofa. And I'd be like, I, I, I sleep in the bed beside you. I couldn't give a fuck. I'm tired. Oh. Like, but like I um, remember mum and her partner would fight. He would make her sleep on the couch. So mm-hmm. this is very much. Yeah, they, they have the power. They're yeah, being true to me. I'm like, the oh. weird. Just, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm making assumptions, but there's just little things that you pick up with this. When I'm reading, when I was doing it, I was like, oh yeah, okay. I can see Emma, That makes me so sad for Kathleen. I know, but she's okay. Well, she's not, but she's getting it. <laughs> We're getting there. We're getting there, Kathleen. Good woman. Um, okay. So Jean told David she wanted him out of the house and gave him a month to do so. However, according to David, they had both agreed that Jean would be the one to move out and David would live with the children. Sorry, excuse me. Now, here's the thing about this. Uh, unfortunately, that's true. And we will find out later how we know that. Is this because she was going to go away with Robert? Okay. David believed that he and Jean had what he called an ordinary marriage and finding out the idea of Jean being in love with another man to be absolutely ludicrous. He was like, what? No, you're using this as an excuse. I don't believe this for a second. He decided to go through Jean's emails and texts and found the correspondence to Robert. David felt even more devastated, hurt and betrayed, and he began to hate his wife. He told the guards, quote, I was starting to hate her. I think I hated her. But hate is a funny thing because I still madly loved her. I told her I wanted to grow old with her and didn't want to be with any other woman but her. She was the love of my life. Well, David became depressed, taking time off work and finding it hard to do his usual everyday routine. Neighbours and friends commented on David's behaviour, saying he now seemed like a shell of a person, a shell of a person. And he decided to start seeing a counsellor in order to help himself and their children. Now, that is all documented and true. So, right. In July You're 2000- making it really difficult for me to hate this guy. Yeah, no, you will. In July 2007, Jean went on a Buddhist retreat to France where she met up with Robert Campion. Following the trip, Jean spent five days in Southampton with Campion in his flat. A month later, on August 17th, Jean took another trip, this time for 10 days to Southampton. It was here she and Robert decided they would begin their new life in Dublin. I handed in my notice, Robert said. 
gave up my flat and planned to return to Ireland with Jean. Jean then also bought Robert a car. How has Jean got so much money? I don't know. There's a lot of stuff in this where I'm like, what's going on? Jean also gave one of her children's mobile, fo- mobile phones to him so they could communicate when they got back to Ireland. This guy's a bum. She has a thing for bums, doesn't she? She's a bum. He's, she's a fixer. Oh, no. Which can lead you down a very, very dark dark path, if not yeah. watched, you know? All so, of my boyfriends were <laughs> projects. David knew that Jean had gone to see Robert, and although he was angry and hurt, he tried to keep a semblance of normality for his, for his children. On August 27th, he left his house early to collect his children from their grandparents in Mullingar. They had stayed there for the weekend. So he went to Mullingar, got his kids. When he came home, he knew Jean had been in the house and that Robert had been with her. He said there was a strong stench of BO and stale cigarette smoke in the house. He also said there was two dirty plates and two dirty wine glasses in the sink. David was apoplectic. He was like, I am going to murder everybody. What a great word. I love the word apoplectic. That night, Jean stayed in a travel lodge with Campion and the next morning she returned home to David. He and was she there with yeah, him in the right. house? Yeah, right. Okay. He confronted her immediately and told her he knew she had Campion in the house, which she denied. David stormed out of the house and sent a text to his work colleague, Geraldine, telling her what happened. So this is the text that he sent Geraldine. Okay. Things got worse. We had a massive row. I told her there would be fisticuffs if he turned up at the house while I was there. I just hate her. I had to get out of the house or I would have killed her. I was that angry. Do you want me to kill that guy? So after cooling down, David returned home. Jean told him she was going to visit her mother, who just had a procedure done on her eye. David told Jean he had plans that night and if she could come home early, it would be appreciated. It is not known if Jean actually did go to visit her mum, but she did go back to Campion in the travel lodge. The two had drinks and dinner and then had sex. Campion said that David must have known that Jean was with him as Jean received a text from her husband that just said, lies, lies, lies. Right, so he's building. He's getting angrier and angrier. Mm. Jean did not arrive home until 11 p.m. that night, which meant David had to cancel his plans. Once again, another huge arrow erupted. Now, here's my thing. Those poor children. Yeah. That's all I could think about when I was reading this, that they're listening to this every single fucking day. Do just leave. She has told you she doesn't want to be with you anymore. Get the fuck out of the house, rent an apartment and see your kids. What are you doing? Yeah, but I do have to say she is. You're right. I'm not I don't disagree, but there's another side to that. Like she is just fucking off for periods of time. And it doesn't sound like before this, that was something she did. No. And like, so I'm sure her kids are like, where's mom gone? Yeah. But the other side of it is he's actively this is like self-harm. Yeah, no, he is absolutely because he's playing the the house. Like he's playing the victim, Emma. He's like he's very good at it. He's very good at it. Yeah, he's playing the victim. He's playing the entire world around him. Yeah. Um. So yeah, they had a mass another massive row. David said the row became became a slagging match with Jean blaming him for the conception of their third child that she did not want. Oh God, that poor child. And then she also said that he was overweight. 
like this is like obviously that information you're getting is from like court and and statements yeah. like like that that's online for them to see that doesn't need to be publicized i mean that's online for those kids to see oh. david said he was enraged and that gene had turned him into a cuckold oh well. did he actually use that word yeah. this man's uh vocabulary is very good the two went to bed after the argument once again in separate bedrooms so the next morning, Tuesday, the 28th of August at 5.20 a.m., Jean left the house. David said he heard her getting up, then watched her get into the car and drive away. He knew where she was going and he was enraged again. He went back to bed and his children joined him. He said the kids began telling each other how much they loved each other. So that was the morning that they had. This sounds all made up. Anyway. <laughs> David said he had an extremely close relationship with his children, but that Jean was not as close with them. Now, I don't believe that. No, I mean, Jean had said that he was really past remarkable of them. He was really. He absolutely is playing the dutiful father, like all his interviews with the guards. He's like, oh, my kids, my kids, my kids. And then I'm like, oh, your kids, your kids, your kids. But what you did in front of your kids. Yeah, like it just sounds to me like he's painting. I'm sure there are parts of it that are true, but it sounds like he's painting a narrative. He is painting an narrative. It's kind of like he knew that if he could act it a certain way. Yeah. Um, David said he, oh, sorry, he believed that if Jean had the opportunity, she would find a job further from home and leave David with the children full time. He said this made him, quote, angry, deeply angry. So Jean texts David, uh, said that said that she had gone to pick up a message at 5.30 in the morning. And he was like, what message have you gone to get at 5.30 in the fucking morning? Jean did in fact not go, did in fact go to the travel lodge to meet Campion again and they had sex again. As David waited for his wife, the anger built and built. He felt as if he was losing control. And I just thought, I can't go on anymore like this, David later told the guardie. I just can't. I just can't take any more of this. So leave. So leave. He's not trying to keep you in the house. He's not She's playing. She fucking the- made it more than clear. Told you. She has said to you, get the fuck out of my house. This is my house. Get out. And he won't. He's like sitting even, there. Like, she's not right either. She shouldn't be fucking another man. That's not cool. Whatever. But the other side of this is this this relationship seems so deeply fucked up. And their marriage seems so deeply fucked up. And that woman seems so lost that I'm sure a lot of this was just like, what the fuck is going on? Mm. And then she's a man telling her he loves her so much and she's wonderful and beautiful and he wants to be with her and make her tea and stroke her spine. And then she's a man at home being horrific to her to the point that she's losing half her body weight. Yeah. Like, it's so messed up. Like, even that and, thing of like, you're making me a cuckold. You're making yourself one. Self a cuckold, motherfucker. She told you to leave. Yeah. And he's admitted that she told him to leave. Numerous times. So at 10 a.m., Jean arrived home. Emily, Alex and Harvey were sitting in the living room and Jean joined them to watch television. It's a great names. Yeah, great names. David took a shower and it was here he thought about getting a knife and stabbing Jean. Oh. He said Jean seemed smug and self-satisfied and the rage was overpowering. Mm. When he finished the shower, he went back downstairs and Emily asked him for some toast. David put the bread in the toaster. He then picked up a knife and put it in his back pocket. He had decided he wanted Jean to feel the hurt and pain he had suffered. He brought the toast to Emily and then approached Jean, who was sitting with Harvey and Alex. Emily stood beside her father 
and said he began shouting at their mother. He screamed that she had given Alex's phone to Campion and lunged at her. He knocked Jean over on the chair and put his knees either side of her. He then took out the knife and proceeded to try and stab Jean. I'm sorry, his children were in the room? In the room, Sarah Jane. So his children, his children, his children. I'm such a great daddy. He called her a tramp. Jean held her hands up, begging him to stop. David screamed at her to let it go, let it go. And then he plunged the knife into her stomach. The children were cowered in the corner, watching in horror. Oh, Emily God. Remembered watching the knife go into her mother's stomach. Oh, for fuck's sake. So his children, his children, his children. Jean fell off the couch and rolled onto the ground. David then stabbed her four times in the back. His children screamed at him to stop, begging him not to hurt her. As Jean lay on the ground moaning, David stood up, placed the knife on the mantel mantelpiece and went back into the kitchen. He grabbed some tissues and placed them over Jean's wounds. He then put a pillow under her head. As Alex and Harvey watched on in complete horror, Emily said, why did you kill her? What will happen to us now? The little girl then proceeded to give her mother mouth to mouth resuscitation. Oh, my God. David then picked up the phone and called the guardie. He told them he had stabbed his wife, his address, and he hung up the phone. An ambulance arrived at the house and the paramedics and guardie found the three children still huddled together in the living room. They rushed Jean to Connolly Hospital, but her wounds were too severe and she succumbed to them. Um, in front of his kids, Sarah Jane. How old were his kids? Uh, 10, 7 and 4. <gasps> oh. How do, how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you go in and make toast for your daughter? And pick up a knife and put it in your back pocket and say, I'm going to stab her in front of my children. And I know, I think they asked a psychologist as to why he would do that. And he said it was, a psychologist said there could be a couple of reasons, but the reason that he believed it was, it was just to be like, oh, she's such a bad mother. Look what she made me do in front of my children. Also, the other one is that he's a fucking psycho. But, you know. Yeah. So the guardie arrested David on the scene. Now, this was for assault and grievous bodily harm because Jean was alive when they took her to the hospital. Burke told the guardie that he had not intended to kill his wife, but rather to inflict pain, the same pain he had felt. When the guardie put it to him that he intentionally meant to murder Jean, he disagreed. From his interview with the guardie, so I'm just going to read a little segment from his interview. The guardie said, David, I put it to you that you intended to fatally stab your wife, Jean Gilbert, at 28A Laverna Dale today, the 28th of August 2007. He said, I hadn't made up my mind and until late that I was going to do that. The question was, so it was your intention at the time of stabbing your wife to kill her? He said, it was not my intention to kill her. Now, so this is what the entire trial is going to be based on, intent. Just to cause her pain and suffering like she had caused to me. So how fuck another woman, dude? What? How is this equal? Yeah. Question. David, the knife is approximately six inches long. Is that right? He said, that's correct. The question was, you stabbed her a number of times. Do you think the time you might have wanted that, that time you might have wanted her dead? The answer was no. I wanted to hurt her. Yes. Not to kill her. 
the question was, if you wanted to injure her and cause her pain, then how come you didn't assault, assault her or punch her? And the answer was, I wanted her to feel serious physical pain. I didn't want to kill her or I didn't intend to kill her. So he knows. So you stabbed her in the stomach. She fell on the floor and you stabbed her four times in the back. And you didn't want to cause her pain. He knows what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's fucking doing. This is casebook, dude. Like, David told the guardy that he hated his wife, but he also loved her an enormous amount. He said, I was just out of it. I loved her so much. Really, it's so terrible. I never in my life thought I would do this. I loved her so much. I just couldn't take it. I felt, I felt I was. It was too much. Oh, God. God, forgive me. Can I just say, it's because he believes he owns her. He believes she's his property. That's, and that's what a lot of it is when it's like, somebody has told you they don't want to be you anymore and you're not hearing that all you're hearing is oh you're taking away this thing that I own yeah I own this and my ego can't deal with this like that's all this is is like yeah. I own you you yeah. you don't get to decide you, to leave me you don't, decision. you don't get you don't get to get to decide how many children you want that's my mm-hmm. decision mm-hmm. <sighs> David told the guardie his jealousy and rage took over that he felt demeaned and less of a man that he felt provoked by the entire situation. And that's why he lashed out. He told them about the letters and emails he had found from Campion and how it made him feel deep anger and deep sadness. He believed he had a good marriage, but that it it was falling apart in front of him. He was attending therapy and his doctor had put him on antidepressants. So he's doing all the right things. I'm doing all the right things. And then I stabbed my wife in front of my children. Yeah. And I'm sure those poor kids were sitting there going, am I next? Yeah. Because that's what I think. The guardie asked him when he first thought of stabbing Jean and he said it was the morning in the shower. I don't believe that because why did she mention the knife thing to her friend? A. B. Why did he text his work colleague and say he wanted to kill his wife? Yeah. Also, why are you texting that to your work colleague? Bit weird. Yeah. Um, oh, no, I did text you yesterday saying I I'm understand. Not, I'm not your work colleague. This is I'm true. But you, maybe it's his friend. Hey, <laughs> hey, person I work with, I'm going to kill my wife. Yeah, no. Cool. I'm going to HR tomorrow to try and figure this out. Yeah. If somebody that I worked with texts me that they were going to kill their wife. You know what I mean? So he said he thought about it in the shower and that he had not thought about it before that. Robert Campion. Yeah. So we're going to go back to. So Robert was still in Ireland when this is all happening. He's like, where the fuck is Jean? So Robert Campion had been trying to contact Jean since she left the hotel and growing worried. He went to Jean's home here. He saw a large guard of presence outside and he knew something had happened to her. Robert then went to Laverna Dale guard station and spoke to the guardie. He told them who he was and that he was concerned about Jean. And it was here he was told that Jean had passed away. So that only been a number of hours since he'd seen her. And then it was like Jean's dead. Jesus. He told the guardian about their relationship with Jean and also mentioned that the three children were not going to live with him and Jean. But Burke would, quote, take care of the kids full time. So he told the guardian that he was like, Jean and I were going to live together and David was going to look after the children. So that is true. 
Jean's family and friends all spoke to the Gardaí and told them about the tumultuous relationship with J- David. Um, uh, sorry, about the tumultuous relationship with David and how they believed she was being abused. On March 23rd, 2009, David Burke's trial began. A jury of five men and seven women were called and the case was presided over by Barry White. Barry White, doing a shite, just as Barry White. David Burke pleaded not guilty to the murder of his wife, Jean Gilbert. Burke's team argued that David did not intend to kill his wife, but that the attack came from provocation and anger towards his wife's infidelity. Now, as you can imagine, the media were like, oh, she was having an affair. Let's tarnish this woman's entire life, even after she was murdered in front of her children. Yeah. The state would argue that Burke, I said that, did I? Yeah. Nope, I didn't. The state would argue that Burke did intend to murder Jean and that they believed that it was a situation that if he could ha- not have Jean, nope. no one could. David and Jean's three children gave heartbreaking evidence of witnessing the murder of their mother at the hands of their father. David cried throughout his testimony, telling the court that he did what he did out of anger, that he regretted the pain he caused Jean, her family and his own children. Burke came across as a sympathetic figure and there was a mixed reaction in the courtroom to him. So some people were like, oh, I believe him. And some people were like, "Mm, no. Do you know what's wrong here, Emma? No one is fucking educated in feminism. If more people understood feminism, like what's that Margaret Atwood quote? Men are afraid women will laugh at them while women are afraid women men will kill them. Yeah. And that is very fucking true. That's this case, Emma. Yeah, literally, that's this case. The defence and the media decided this would be a great, ample opportunity to smear the name of an abused woman who had been murdered in front of her own children. Jean was described as an adulterer, a liar and someone who could not be trusted. Her love for her children was called into question as well. Oh, as 100%. Person. As Jean's family and friends sat in the courtroom, Burke's team said that Jean and David had been a happy family until Campion came along, but they knew, they knew this was not the case. They knew it wasn't true. The defence described Campion, Sarah, wait till you hear how they described him. The defence described Campion as a half Italian ageing gigolo. Ah! As they call him, who was using Jean for money. Campion was too devastated to attend the trial, later vehemently denied this, saying he loved Jean and the biggest regret he ever had was not marrying her. Now, his neighbours and friends said he was just destroyed after it, like he never got back to normal ever. Um, Whether that be because obviously he was was heartbroken or whether the trauma of what happened, like he'd been in a hotel with this woman like eight hours before. So... On March 25th, Justice Barry White, in the absence of a jury, told, told prosecuting counsel Isabella Kennedy, quote, whoever decided this is murder rather than manslaughter should bring themselves into court. Mm. Kennedy Barry th- White has had, he's just questionable. There's plenty yeah. of cases we've covered where you're like, and Come then before, on, before on, he was a judge, he was obviously a solicitor and we covered a case where he was a solicitor and he was, Questionable. Kennedy told him that was for the jury to decide. The judge told Kennedy he believed Burke had had his, quote, nose rubbed in it. 
regarding Jean and Robert's relationship, insinuating this would be enough of a defense of manslaughter by provocation. Oh, your wife had an affair. That means you can stab her to death in front of your three children. What? And it not be murder. And it not be murder. It's fucking murder. And they're like, oh, he put a pillow under her head. Oh, did he? Fuck me. However, this would not matter. As on March 30th, 2009, the jury returned a majority verdict of 11 to 1 that David Burke was guilty of the murder of his wife, Jean Gilbert, and he was sentenced to life in prison. Go on, the lads. Following the verdict, Jean's brother, Robert, took to the stand to give a victim impact statement. He told the court that his sister was a beautiful woman who lived life to the full and that she was passionate about everything she put her hand to, whether it be DIY or gardening. He told the court that Emily, Alex and Harvey have been profoundly affected by the murder of their mother. He said not only did they take the life of their dear mother, he did it in front of them. Their family life has been squashed, squashed and all things familiar to them as children has changed. They have had to change school, friends and their lives have been altered beyond recognition. Of course. He said Emily would no longer have shopping trips with her mum, no more hairdresser trips and no more hugs. Alex was repeatedly asking to go home to his mum, like every single day. He's four, right? He's the youngest. He kept saying he missed her hot chocolate and he wants her to make her hot chocolate. Harvey missed his one-to-one with his mother and just was inconsolable constantly. The Gilbert family decided they would raise all three children between each of the siblings and keep their mother's memory alive the best they could. So they took, they're all, basically they're all being raised together. So they're not separated in any capacity. A month after the trial, the Gilbert family, still reeling from Jean's death and disgusted at how she'd been treated in the media, released a statement. So this is the statement. It is with great regret and heavy hearts that we find it necessary to break our silence and speak for Jean. The past month has been very difficult for us to bear. With the great outpouring of sympathy for David Burke, people were like sympathising with him. And the very unkind words used to describe Jean. What that tells me is people hate women. Yeah. David Burke was not the man he claimed to be. And Jean was certainly not the woman that David Burke would like to betray. As we said after the verdict, we are unable to comment in detail on Jean's very sad marriage to David Burke. Jean told her side of the story to her immediate family on June 20th, 2007. That night, she arrived at our parents' house looking pale and extremely thin. She started by saying, this is the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. I am fed up living a lie that everything is all right when it's not. On June 20th, 2007, Jean also told us, if David had been a good man, I would have never been interested in making regular contact again with Bob Campion, which I believe. Yeah. Nothing further about Jean's relationship with David Burke can be revealed by our family, except to say as far back as 1997, an incident occurred that marked the beginning of a frightful time with her. Our priority now is her three grieving children. These three children are Jean's future and we must protect them. Anyone who had the pleasure of knowing Jean knew she was a wonderful person with a great sense of humour and an infectious laugh. No words can describe how much we all miss her. Jean was by no means calculating, irresponsible, selfish woman portrayed by some elements of the press. She was a loving, kind and responsible person who loved her family deeply. The fact she has been complimenting leaving the family home, which incidentally she bought before she met David Burke, shows how unbearable the situation had become for her. 
We would ask the public to please respect our decision and let us grieve privately for Jean and also allow her to finally rest in peace. Many thanks, the Gilbert family. In 2012, David launched an appeal, but in 2013, it was dismissed. Good. And that is the horrific case of the murder of Jean Gilbert. Is he still in prison? He's still in prison. And I just hope her family, her kids are doing okay. I mean, I don't know how, but that's the most traumatic thing. The traumatic thing is the murder of that woman. That would be ever traumatic. Children sitting in a room watching their mother get stabbed to death. Yeah, like handing your daughter toast and then taking the knife out and plunging it into your wife's chest. stomach. Actively admitting to a work colleague that he wanted to kill her. And, you know, it, it didn't come out of nowhere. It didn't. And she was like, I I, I wanted to break. Why? She brought him to a pub specifically to tell him to be like, I don't want to. In public, him. yeah. Her own husband. Yeah. Yeah, there's more like there's more to this. There's more to this than I don't think we'll ever know, to be honest with you. But he's mm. in the place for what he fucking did to his children. That, that he sounds. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Fucker. Um, but yes, uh, it's a horrible one, but I I do think it's very it's an odd one. It's an odd case and how the judges reacted to it being like, well, she was mean to him, so you should have stabbed her. Please go to therapy. Listen. But yeah, like um, you don't you if somebody falls out of love with you, they fall out of love with you. It happens. Not you know if you're I mean? a man, she, apparently, Emma. He's like, get the fuck out of my gas. Yeah, no, he's not like, if you're a man. Yeah. Because you know what that was? He also didn't want to fucking pay for a rent in the place. That's all that was. Yep. But anyway, uh, that's all it is. That's all I got to say. You're very tired, so we're going to go. Um, you did a great job. Thank you. Um, we will be back next week. That case, man. Yeah, I just, her kids. Well, like, it's her kids, but it's also just, like, the societal issues. of Like, yeah. it's femicide. It's, fem- it's just, like, like even religion. for... for they using the... The slush argument. For a justice, a sitting judge to be like, I mean, he was she was rubbing his nose in it. Yeah. And then for the for Isabel Kennedy to be like, well, we we'll got the jury to decide on that, won't we? Like, and it's and he's in jail for murder. Like, fucked up, man. He just she was just a piece of property. She was Lit. a cash cow and a piece yeah. of property. Yeah. And like the thing about it is, like as I said to use that cut they were just basically they were getting up in the stand calling her a slut yeah that's all it was and then to call her partner an half Italian gigolo is he half Italian? he's half Italian he's half British half Italian now is he still alive? yes and he actually wanted to meet David I was like I'd like to speak to him you know and he was like he's a Buddhist too so he was like you know we we have to love and understand and forgive and I'd like to speak to him. I was like, I don't think he wants to speak to you, bro. Also, I just like I like I covered that case in, of Nora last. And it's just like, I don't understand that level grace. of like the grace. Mm. I don't it, bro. I don't have it in me. And that's OK. No. You don't have to have it in you. But people that I do that do, I admire so much. But like, like you go fuck yourself. I, I like I won't be able to be in a room with that man, let alone be like, I need to speak to him to like. <laughs> Forgive. I'd be like, it's no. crazy. Uh, you did a really good job. Thank you. Thanks for bumming me out on a Thursday night. Say goodbye to the people. Goodbye, everybody. This is. I'll do a Craig. Uh, Craig, goodbye. That's what he does. <laughs> my favorite thing Craig does is he comes into my room and it's tiptoes. He goes. Tickle, 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 tickle.
Yeah, he does that. Uh, but yeah, I'll talk to you later. Talk to me in a bit. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Okay. Bye. See you later, baby. See you later. Hey, Colin, tell us about the Patreon. Sure thing, Lily Pops. Hey there, MMI fans. It's me, Colin, and do I have news for you. It's all going down over at www.patreon.com forward slash Irish, where we've totally revamped our Patreon offering for you mega fans. That's right. Now all of your favorite Patreon stuff can be found in one place as we bring you our MMI Super Show exclusively for Patreon, featuring all the usual banter and chat between Emma and Sarah Jane, plus me thrown into the bargain, along with Lily's Tales, Maximilian's Bell Bag, and some surprises along the way. But that's not all. Every single week, due to popular demand, we will be bringing you a full-length story, whether it be Miscellaneous Most Irish for those cases that just don't fit on the main show, Murder Most international for those cases you guys have been crying out for or even music most awesome where we talk about our favorite albums but wait there's even more how about mmi drive the fan favorite podcast show where emma and sarah jane drive around dublin talking about all sorts of shite plus our monthly ask me our segment where you get to pick the brains of the girls and maybe even ask me a question or two so what are you waiting for come on over to www.patreon.com forward slash murder most irish and join in the fun for only six euros a month give my mommy six euros